everyone, welcome to Talk of the Town. This is a podcast where we talk about all things media, creators, business, and more. My name is Tristan. I am the host of the podcast. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you for tuning in. And if you're returning from previous episodes of the podcast, thank you so much for listening to new episodes. It's nice to be back, guys, and making episodes for you guys. We have not made episodes for the podcast in quite some time. And I want to kind of talk about why that is. And then also let you guys know about some updates for the podcast and what you guys can expect in the near future. Now, as for why we have not uploaded any new episodes of the podcast in quite some time, to kind of give you guys an idea as to why, simply being a couple of reasons. One, we have been working really hard on getting new guests for the podcast. On top of that, we have really been trying to get a lot of uploads for you guys and really just create a better podcast ultimately, right? Provide more value and excitement and enjoyment for all of you listening and and watching the podcast. But on top of that, another big reason is we've been really trying to explore and really sort of, you know, play around with the format of the podcast and attempt new things and all sorts of different stuff. And, Ultimately, we are, you know, finally being able to put to fruition some of the ideas and things like that for the podcast because we're now able uh, to, to sort of, you know, play things out after, you know, putting things into, you know, uh, perspective. Um, and lastly, as well, guys, there's been a lot of information that has been happening in the entertainment space, the creator space, the you know the media space, and startups especially over the last couple of weeks. So it's really been a very hectic cycle the last few weeks. Now, you know, getting into how the the new format of this podcast will be, uh, and I think a lot of you guys will like this, especially when it comes to these you know non guest related episodes. We're gonna start it off basically with a couple of really interesting topics that are happening in the space and then getting into sort of our core five main topics every episode i feel like this is something that's going to be really great that a lot of you guys are going to like because what this does is create a little bit of the ability to do some you know interesting content uh on top of that we're also launching a newsletter through beehive where you guys can keep up to date with some of the big things that we talk about and also some things that we won't end up mentioning here on the podcast that will be in the show notes down below. All right, guys. Now, with that being said, let's get into some big news that is coming out, you know, uh, throughout the you know entertainment space uh, because there's been a lot that has been happening over the last couple of weeks since you and I last talked. You know, now, first off, there has been news that has been coming out for quite some time that apparently, you know, Paramount is getting ready to explore a sale of both BET, VH1, and the BET Plus streaming service. This is something uh, that's quite literally crazy if you think about it. Um, you know, this is a... Um, you know, really well-known brand for Paramount over the years um, that has basically been happening. Um, And so according to the Hollywood Reporter, essentially what is happening is that Paramount is exploring a potential sale 
of a majority stake in you know the BET brand, that being the channels BET, VH1, and BET Plus. Uh, basically, what this happens is that Tyler Perry, uh, who made a deal back in 2017 with Paramount, is said to be you know nearing its conclusion, and the BET purchase, if it happened, would give him ownership of the brand that airs many of the shows on that platform. Um, you know, this is sort of in the early stages and there's no guarantee to things that are happening. Um, but ever since then, we've seen a lot of different things that have been happening. We've seen people, uh, like Byron Allen, who controls a number of local TV stations as well as the weather channel is interested. We've also heard, you know, interesting news that people like Sean Diddy Combs looking at possibly wanting to buy, um, you know, that, and I, I think that there is a lot of interesting things, uh, happening with BET, uh, as a brand. And, you know, ultimately I think that this could be a really intriguing thing to see, um, what happens in the near future. All right, guys. Now, another big piece of information comes actually from the business world, and that has to do with Alibaba, right? The, the Chinese giant conglomerate has basically announced that it is going to be splitting into six different groups, including its entertainment business. Basically, each of them are going to be independently managed by its own chief executive officer and board of directors. And this was announced actually very recently, which I think is quite literally crazy. Um, this basically comes, you know, after a Wall Street Journal article that basically supported uh, a restructuring since Jack Ma, who is the you know CEO of Alibaba, has returned to China. You know, they're trying to really boost business confidence, and on on top of that, um, that you know. Apparently, China has been trying to get Alibaba to sell off a collection of media assets and things like that for quite some time. So basically, what is happening is that um, you know Alibaba and its uh, streaming platform called Yuku uh, is basically going to be a digital media and entertainment group. It's going to be led um by the guy who used to be the ceo of alibaba pictures um on top of that they have taobao which is their online shipping business which will be a now separate branch they're going to have as well four others that being the cloud intelligence company the local services company digital business groups which you know primarily run things like aliexpress derza's alibaba.com and then also a you know smart logistics division now ultimately I think that this is actually a really interesting play for Alibaba, you know, coming at a time when a lot of Chinese companies are under scrutiny. Uh, a lot of them sort of enjoyed, you know, uh, sort of free reign to being, you know, a, a really, you know, big company. Uh, and so to see this happening, I think is actually probably a really uh, smart thing for Alibaba. Um, you know, I am at, from time to time a investor in their stock, and um, I think I, I think ultimately this might be a very good thing. So there we go. All right, guys. Now another piece of interesting news coming out of both the creator and the business space has to do with TikTok, and this was an article that was sent to me, uh, you know, very recently actually, and you know. 
Um, it has to do with the former head of product for TikTok's operations here in the U.S. Um, basically saying that TikTok's $2 billion creator fund was not launched with the goal originally of helping creators monetize on the platform. And I think it is quite literally crazy uh, to hear that, right? As someone who myself, as an influencer, when I was reading this article at first, uh, I thought that this was absolutely just dumbfounding, right? Now, basically what they, uh, what this, you know, executive claims is that basically they created this fund as a way to compete against YouTube and Snap, sort of as a reactive measure and to keep people on the platform uh, at a time when a lot of you know different platforms like Snapchat started launching a creator fund, YouTube doing its shorts and monetization, uh, and all these sorts of different things, right? Uh, specifically, what Sean Kim, you know, again, the former head of product for TikTok US, basically said is platforms don't care if you are successful at monetization. The reason why is because their metrics and North Star metrics are 100% focused on retention, daily active users, publish rates, and active days. Monetizations of creators is not even on there. It's way, way, way down there. It's like an afterthought. When we launched the TikTok Creator Fund, we didn't launch it to help creators monetize. I mean, that's what we said everywhere publicly. We're doing this to help creators monetize that's not why we launched it. We launched it as a reactive measure against other platforms launching their funds. So, oh boy, <laughs> you know, uh, I I don't blame them for, you know, being honest and, and saying we didn't, you know, solely launch this to help creators monetize on the platform, right? And we did this as a way to keep competition, you know, between YouTube and Snap and Instagram and all these other platforms that are launching monetization efforts. I mean, I think it was also smart, though, that TikTok at the time did launch this creator fund, because if you think about it, you know, um, TikTok itself led to the creation of a lot of people's careers, right? You know, the D'Amelio sisters and, and their entire family. You look at Kabi Lami who has blown up to be the biggest, you know, TikToker, um, uh, you know, out there. You look at so many other individual creators who went from being everyday people to being, you know, with hundreds of thousands of followers and going to movie premieres, going to talent agencies and working with them, all sorts of different, you know, uh, trajectories for influencers happened because of the rise of TikTok. So it is quite literally crazy to hear uh, that they have done this. Um, you know, obviously TikTok itself has uh, made it to where there's other monetization tools uh, as well, right? Um, so I think it, it is very interesting um, to see, you know, that this is, you know, really what, you know, the intentions of TikTok were with their, you know, creator fund. Uh, so let me know what you guys think about this on social media. If this is something uh, that you guys are intrigued by. Uh, are you an influencer? Do you use TikTok? Do you love supporting creators and monetization? Let me know what you guys think about that as well. All right, guys. Now, with that being said, another big piece of business news that came out before we get into our main topic uh, has to do with our good old friend, Canadian's own Ryan Reynolds. 
you guys probably saw the news a couple of weeks ago that Ryan Reynolds has decided to sell Mint Mobile to T-Mobile for $1.3 billion. Now, according to The Hollywood Reporter, basically Mint Mobile, uh, as well as two of its other brands, that being Ultra Mobile and one of its other companies, um, is basically being acquired by T-Mobile, uh, which I think is quite literally a smart deal. So essentially, the way that this deal works out, T-Mobile is going to pay 39% in cash and then 61% in T-Mobile stock. Um, again, for a total of $1.35 billion, uh, it is said to believe that Ryan Reynolds has about 20 to 25% of Mint Mobile. So he's looking at at least a nice you know, $300, $400 million payday uh, out of that. Um you know, one of the things that they have said as part of this deal uh, is that Ryan Reynolds will continue to be a, you know, creative spokesperson for um, T-Mobile and, and Mint Mobile and, and all that. Um, on, on top of that, one of the other things that I think is really interesting um, is that they're going to keep their $15 a month plan as intact. I wonder what this means, though, for some of the other, you know, uh, plans, especially like their, you know, $30, $40 a month unlimited plans, because I myself, I've been a user on Mint Mobile for, you know, practically a year or so. Uh, and to see this happening, I think is quite literally crazy. Um, but, you know, I think also um, this is a very smart, you know, decision. Um, and, and, you know, I'm excited to see what happens for T-Mobile, for Mint Mobile, and, you know, as well, what Ryan Reynolds is going to do with this just boatload of money he has um, been amassing. All right, guys. Now, with that being said, let's get into our main topics for this particular episode. The first one having to be with Disney, because, oh boy, the empire of Disney is cratering. Uh, there has been news that has come out over the last, you know, 24 to 48 hours of just massive, massive just decisions being made at Disney across the board. Um, and these are certainly ones that I myself did not see coming at all. The first one is that Disney is unplugging its metaverse unit. So basically, uh, they had a very small unit within the company, about 50 people or so. Those working on next generation storytelling and consumer experiences through the metaverse. This was a project that Bob Chapek, who's the former CEO, uh, really wanted to talk about as a growth opportunity for Disney, not only in the theme parks, but also in other areas. Um, you know, it had also really um, been a, a big focus of a lot of media companies like, you know, Facebook turning itself into being meta. And, you know, one of the big reasons why this basically has, um, you know, been a reversal for Disney is two things. One, most investments in metaverse technology have not shown profits. Bob Iger knows this especially very well being on the board of Genie, um, Genie which is um, a metaverse company. Uh, and then on top of that as well, right, um, you look at the fact that Bob Iger is doing a lot of on, you know, re-rolling back on certain JPEG initiatives um, because basically he wants T 
to really get Disney back into a, a place where you know the company is thriving, where the company is is being successful again. You know, trying to cost cut nearly five and a half billion dollars in savings and all these sorts of different things, uh, and really get Disney again back to a point in time in its history where Disney can thrive again. Um, you know, again, Bob Chapek, as I've always said on social media, did a lot of damage for Disney across the board. Now, on top of that, Disney also announced that they're going to be doing 7,000 layoffs as a just wider restructuring of the company. This is something that we kind of expected was going to happen, uh, and it is certainly not surprising. So basically, there are a lot of different people that are going to be um, you know, moved around, cut from Disney and, and everything. Uh, it is said that apparently... The creative acquisitions department for Disney Television Studios is going to be completely shut down and, you know, the operations of that will be absorbed by independent studios. Um, Basically, for those that don't know what that department did at Disney, you know, back in 2021, it basically had the idea of identifying and securing the rights to upcoming and best-selling books, podcasts, news. Uh, and other IP that could be developed by ABC and 20th, uh, 20th Century Television for you know the showrunners, writers, directors, and talent on ABC, FX, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and all the other stuff that they had. Um, so basically what they've said is that uh, Mark Levenstein, who is the Senior Vice President of Production for Hulu, Jane Bieber, who was the senior vice president of management and operations for Freeform, are going to be leaving, um, as well as Carol Turner, who was the executive vice president and head of production for ABC Signature, which is uh, what used to be known also as ABC Studios, uh, is is basically um, going to be you know taking on an expanded role uh, with network and platform production for scripted. Um, television across Disney Entertainment. Um, and then, you know, ultimately some others are going to be uh, reporting to her from the looks of it, Elizabeth Newman, who was the VP of development at uh, 20s television is going to be leaving. Um, and, and it just looks like an absolute calling going on over at Disney. Uh, one of the things I will say that I think is really interesting is how many times Freeform can go through leadership changes, through hires, fires, and canceling content, and still around. Um, it is just literally crazy when you think about it. Um, I I am surprised that Freeform lasted longer than the CW. Um, <laughs> so... That is what I think. Um, I do think, though, that Freeform will be sold eventually or rebranded in some way, shape, or form. Uh, And there's a lot of other stuff that I'll talk about here in the near future as well when it comes to Disney. Um, But let me know what you guys think about this and so forth as well. All right, guys. Now, getting into our second topic, we need to talk about the massive bombshell news about Victoria Alonso. Many of you guys probably heard about this very recently that basically Victoria Alonso, uh, the number three at Marvel studios had left the, you know, the studio 
She had been there for basically 17 years from the very first like Iron Man movie as a co-producer all the way to ex- being basically executive producer on every TV show and film that Marvel Studios did since the Avengers back in 2012. And basically, more has come out as time has um, progressed as to why this really happened, right? It was not even really um, that she left, but it was more of actually being fired by Disney, you know, which I thought was more surprising. Um, But when you look at why this is, it is actually not surprising in the least that uh, Victoria Alonso was fired by Disney, um, basically for two reasons. One, well, really, actually more than two reasons. I'd say two or three, really. The first reason is that she herself um, sort of became a kingmaker and a very fierce uh, individual to deal with on visual effects, right? You know, if you remember Victoria Alonso before, you know, getting uh, ousted from Marvel and Disney was the head of physical and post-production VFX and animation, right? Uh, and basically from what a lot of people have been saying uh, is that with Marvel pumping out just an unprecedented amount of movies and series, there was a general impression that VFX artists were not being well-treated by Marvel. There were long hours, really tight deadlines, and a lack of vision. And uh, on top of that, a lot of people said that essentially she had a reputation of being challenging. If you clashed with her in any way, shape, or form, you were essentially on a blacklist for Marvel, and it went really, really bad for quite some time. Um, Now, on on top of that, um, the second big reason why she got fired is that she basically was a producer on this Oscar-nominated film, called Argentina 1985, and basically, um, you know, she was one of eight producers on this movie that was being distributed by Amazon, it competed for the best international feature, um, and all this, but by assuming that role, multiple times at least, she basically breached a contract that she had with Disney, um, and after repeated warnings, and, you know, after the Academy Awards, they basically decided to terminate her. Now, according to the Hollywood Reporter and Insider, she breached the 2018 agreement that included the company's standards of business conduct, which states employees cannot work for competing studios. Sources say that Victoria Alonso did not ask for permission to work on 19, uh, Argentina 1985, nor did she give notice. Uh, however, an IndieWire piece published last month on the film stated that she did have permission. When Disney found out about the project and the violation, her longtime service and veteran status led the company to give her a dispensation on the condition she not work on the movie further and was not to promote it or publicize it in any way. The situation of a top executive working on a movie outside company confines was deemed serious enough to involve the management audit team and a new memo was signed according to an insider. Uh, basically from there, uh, on top of that, um, you know, when this premiered at the Venice International Film Festival, I think last September, uh, she found herself front and center in the film campaign, attending screenings, sitting on panels, doing interviews. And multiple times she was basically reminded, hey, 
you sign this deal with us. And this deal says you cannot do this. Um, one of the things I thought was even more interesting and, and a little bit of dumbfounding at the same time was that when the Oscars came around, she appeared on the the carpet, not as a Marvel executive associated with Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but rather as a producer for Argentina 1985 and walking with Santiago uh, Meeker, who was the uh, film's director. So it really seemed kind of, you know, crazy uh, that to Disney executives, she was promoting this film while uh, her purview over Marvel visual effects was bigger and busier than ever. Um, given all these things, plus as well uh, some other stuff that were happening um, within Disney and, and herself, um, this basically all came to a head. And honestly, I can understand why Disney did what they did by firing her. Um, because ultimately, here's the thing. Um, when you're running you know, a major studio like Marvel Studios, it is important that you basically they have to you know have someone always working on their projects, and this is standard across the industry. Where if you work at a place like Disney, Warner Brothers, so forth and so forth, you're typically not allowed to work for a competing studio if that other studio is not involved. This is why we don't see Kevin Feige going and you know just outright making films for Sony at the same time as marvel right you know um so all these sorts of different things um but it's also said that apparently um victoria alonso clashed with marvel over uh you know lgbtq references in ant-man 3 uh and all these sorts of different things so basically what she is uh what her attorney has been saying uh is that she had the courage to quote-unquote criticize disney was silenced then she was terminated when she refused to do something she believed was reprehensible um many believe that the reprehensible act was a request to censor gay pride references in the latest ant-man movie um and you know all this and that um i believe it was something to do with a version of the film being released in kuwait which has very restrictive um anti-lgbq laws and, and all that um, so I can understand why it is, but, uh, basically she refused to have her team make that edit. Uh, and there were several other changes to the film for Kuwait, uh, which is like the only country in which these references were blurred, uh, and some of these other things as well. So it is very, very intriguing to see, um, you know, the downfall of Victoria Alonso. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Marvel moving forward. Um, but it is certainly not surprising in the slightest though, that, um, you know, someone from Marvel is having their downfall moment. So let me know what you guys think about this on social media as well. All right, guys. Now getting into some other news around the entertainment space, there is news that CW has been hit by more Layoffs, you know, this comes as, uh, as we talked about it on the podcast multiple times, that Nexstar, which owns the CW now, uh, is basically trying to get the network into 
a new direction. They're pulling away from high-end scripted series that have been dominating the network basically since even before the CW was around. Um, you know, trying to make the network profitable by 2025, which basically means uh, that they have to have this kind of thing happening. Um, and as well, at the same time, um, it is very sad to see what's happening. So according to Deadline, more than 15 people were cut from the the network. Uh, this has to do primarily with their marketing, promotional, and finance teams. These are said to be mid- and high-level executives, including some in senior vice president roles. Uh, many say, you know, this is a staff reduction coming a month and a half after, uh, you know, a former Warner executive, Chris Spettuccini, joined the CW as the, you know, marketing officer. Uh, and again, you know, based off the programming stuff that's happening with the network as well. Um, it is very intriguing to see what is happening with the CW, man. You know, um, you know, a, a side note to this, I mean, Live Golf itself, which, you know, the, the new era ownership of, the CW with, with Nexstar has touted as, you know, a really good thing for the network, but at the same time, uh, it's really performing badly, right? You know, I mean, just the way that Live Golf has been for the CW has not been doing very well, uh, and we can make probably a whole other episode just talking about the problems with Live Golf as well, uh, but I am excited to see what's happening with the CW uh, because what this basically is doing is leaving viewers with very few shows worth watching. A lot of the shows that they wanted to watch are discontinued. And uh, on top of that, you know, we don't know if some of these new shows are going to make it to a second season or, you know, whatever the case may be. So certainly let me know what you guys think on social media. What are your thoughts about the CW being uh, having laid, you know, people off and all this and that, um, and everything in between. All right, guys. Now, moving on to some other news in the entertainment space. Apparently, it is being announced that there is going to be a season three of House of the Dragon. So before we even get the the second season of House of the Dragon, uh, which will consist of eight episodes, uh, it is apparently going to be part of a long term plan for the show. Uh, which includes getting a green light for a third season. This comes as production is about to begin on season two for a summer 2024 premiere. Um, and I honestly think that this is a really good thing for, you know, Game of Thrones fans, for HBO, uh, a little bit of stability for Warner Brothers Discovery at a time uh, when they really need a lot of stability. Um, basically season three has been mapped out greenlit and they're going to be moving ahead with scripts, casting and, uh, everything, um, which I think is a very smart thing for them, uh, especially cause house of the dragon, uh, basically has been one of their best shows of all time. Right. Um, and, and so I think, um, you know, more, all the more to them with house of the dragon and, uh, everything in between, and it'll be interesting to see what they do from there. All right, guys. Now, with that being said, this is the end of this particular episode for the podcast. If you guys did enjoy this new format of the podcast, please let us know on social media. It really means a lot to myself and everyone that works on this podcast and everything in between. And on top of that, 
Uh, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, all the links are down in the show notes below. And with that being said, my name is Tristan, the host of the podcast, and I'll see all of you guys in the next one.